Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? It's Bo here with another One Piece TV Talk. We are on episode six, The Chef and the Chore Boy. All right, so this is very interesting because the name, uh, you know, alone, as you're kind of going into it, you think this is going to be about this kind of Long John Silver-esque character and the, I guess, contrast or at least the conflict that was established in the previous episode between him and Luffy. Not necessarily the case. This is actually the backstory of Sanji. And oh my goodness gracious, what a backstory it was. He's working on his ship. The pirates, the, what do you say, the chef pirates? They all come along. We're introduced to our Long John Silver type character, right? The chef dude. He comes through, he sees the food, and he immediately reaches for what you think would normally be some sort of bullet or weapon or something that is strapped to his chest. But no, it's basically a spice rack. This dude has a spice rack attached to himself while also blood is dripping from his boots. We're, like the, the absurdity of it all, right? Like it's, it's masterfully done. He throws in a little bit of oregano and we get this kind of concept that apparently, for whatever reason, Sanji is anti-oregano. That's that's ridiculous. He says it's for, uh, what do you say, for, for Neanderthals, savages, count me in, okay? I'm pro-oregano. I didn't know that there was even like a... <laughs> I didn't even know this was a thing. But regardless, we see that, you know, the chef captain dude rescues kid Sanji. They're on this rock. They're starving. He gives him what looks like the smaller portion of food only to discover that, of course, he gave him all the food. And on the other side, he's sitting on the other side. He doesn't want this boy to see the horrific reality of him essentially, not even essentially, just literally eating his own leg in order to survive. It's grotesque and it's intense. And all of this is happening in this kind of cartoon world of One Piece. You know, I've been thinking about it over the last past week. I've been really kind of marinating on this series and why the cartoon never spoke to me. Why is this series actually being able to kind of connect with me in a way that I, I could never get behind the anime? And the closest connection I could come up with it reminded me of, okay, so cast your minds back, right? When Disney did Hercules, back in the day, I was like in high school, maybe junior high, and I was excited because I was a big fan of Greek mythology. Yeah, I was one of those kids. I was super into Greek mythology and Roman mythology, and like I got like super into like, you know, the genealogies and the power sets and all that kind of stuff. And so when Disney was taking on, you know, Hercules, I thought this is great because not only am I learning about this in school and I'm excited to learn about it, but also, you know, it'll kind of give me these ways to remember a lot of this stuff that I'm learning about through narrative storytelling. Nay, nay. Because of course, <laughs> this was not the case. Disney's Hercules is nothing like the actual mythology of Hercules. In fact, it like completely just throws out almost everything about this dude's backstory, his character, the relationship with his parents. Everything is completely fictionalized and made up. In fact, like I was so just like angry watching this thing. I don't think I could get through 10 minutes. I mean, at that stage in the game, I was watching, 
I think in the movie theater, it's not like I left, but still like I couldn't, I couldn't really connect with it because all I was doing was sitting there thinking like, none of this makes sense. This isn't right. This isn't the way that kind of the Greek pantheon is supposed to act. This is a, not, nothing is correct here. As time goes on, you see like, oh, what they were doing with Hercules was they were taking this kind of gospel tone and then mixing it with like American superheroes, comic book superheroes. It's the story of Superman. It's not the story of Hercules. It's the story of Superman told through the characters of Greek mythology to the tone of spiritual gospel music, right? It's an interesting gumbo of flavors that all come together to make that movie. And when you see it, you can appreciate it for what it actually is. I couldn't do that because I couldn't like disconnect my love of Greek mythology and my desire to like be really kind of true to that with all of the other flavors that were going on. And I mean, I like all the other flavors, right? I love comic books. I love gospel music. It's, it's great. It's all, it's good stuff, but it just wasn't working for me. In much the same way, we have One Piece, right? One Piece is a superhero story told with the concept of quote unquote pirates with the tone of this like wacky Donald Duck-esque, you know, goofy cartoon style. The anime never really connected to me because I couldn't make good on all of these different pieces. I love pirates. I love pirate lore and pirate, you know, history and all these different things. And, and I love cartoons and I love superheroes. But for whatever reason, I back then couldn't connect all three of them in the way that One Piece does. Now I'm able to kind of see the forest and the trees, right? Like I'm able to kind of appreciate what's going on through a little bit more visual consistency with it being live action. And as I mentioned before, the general likability of this entire cast, I'm really digging it. Like I was at the end of this episode sitting there and I'm, I'm I, you know, I'll just say it. I was crying. I had tears running down my face with the whole him, you know, Sanji saying goodbye to the chef dude and their relationship and everything else and him going off and, you know, saying what's in his heart. And you're kind of like just you're pulling for him, right? He's up there on the edge. He's like, dude, Sanji, don't, don't go away on bad terms. Tell him what you feel. Speak, speak from your heart. And he does. And you're just like, oh, go get him, kid. It's a story that's as old as time. We see this story retold over and over again. It's a, it is a testament to the power of kind of core stories that they can be retold in so many different ways and still have such emotional impact. Beyond that, of course, we do get the fish dudes coming back. We get confirmation that these fish people are in fact like a another kind of creature, species, humanity, I, I don't know, like alien. Basically, they exist in this world. It's not like these guys all ate the the fruit, the, the rubber fruit, what was it called? Demon fruit? They specifically exist as their own like species. There's also some sort of class situation going on. Apparently fish people and people people don't have the same standpoint in whatever this society is. Kind of crazy when you think about it. This is essentially water world where like most of the world is water. You'd think the fish people would kind of reign supreme. So that's kind of interesting. We get this reveal that Nami has been working with the fish crew for all this time. That's like apparently the people that she was negotiating with or been talking to. She's been part of their crew for the longest time. She's got the tattoo and everything. And she's basically been playing Luffy. But along that time, she's gotten connected to the crew and you can see this emotional connection that exists. So I'm wondering if we're going to see very quickly her going back to fish people and then realizing, you know, I don't really like all these fish pirate people that apparently I've been rolling with for some time. Maybe just like she was playing the long game with Luffy, maybe she's been playing a longer game with the fish people, right? So we may actually see Luffy popping up about the same time that she's ready to pull her, you know, triple reverse Uno card on them for whatever her actual goals are. We still don't really know what they are. I mean, obviously she was stealing this for the fish dude, but she doesn't really seem like the henchman type. So I'm thinking that she's got her own agenda, which we still don't quite know what it is. 
Luffy is having to wrestle with this concept of what it means to be the captain, that his actions have consequences, but also more importantly, his inactions have consequences. His core belief is that if someone has a dream, he wants to empower them to do so. That's very clear. But what does that look like when that person's dream puts them in harm's way? What if that person is a member of your crew and in so doing, you now are in charge of that person? It's a really good question to ask yourself when you're in leadership, right? Like Because you do have kind of this team of individuals with their own goals, but you also want to kind of coalesce them around a single mission. Luffy is that innocent. He, I mean, he reminds me a little bit of Aang to some extent in that way. He's got this childlike joy about him, but at the same time, there is a bit of a weight in the sense that leadership has been placed upon him and he's got all of these rogues around him that he now needs to figure out, okay, how do I lead while still being true to myself? How do I get my team on board while making sure they're still true to who they are? And it's good that we see that the stakes are very real to Luffy. Now, this isn't something that's, you know, beyond his concept, right? In fact, there's that great line in, the, <laughs> in it where, you know, what was it? Sanji's like, do you have any idea what it's like for somebody to lose a limb for you or, you know, give up a limb for you? And Luffy's like sitting there like enthralled in the story. And then all of a sudden he remembers like, oh, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> like My backstory was a couple episodes, but yeah, totally. That Yeah, I, I know exactly what that's like. But even still, even in like his backstory, it wasn't as, I mean, we didn't actually see the cutting off of the leg, but there was still something more brutal about, I guess, the inhumane nature of one having to feed upon themselves to sustain themselves. You know what I mean? Like it's mentally gruesome, even though it's not visually gruesome. And so the weight of all of this is kind of coming down on Luffy and we're, we're seeing that kind of come together. So where will the Straw Hats go from here? Hopefully off to, you know, recruit Nami, fight off the fish people. Uh, eventually going to have to come into conflict with his granddad, who is clearly like, you know, I'm full in. We're, I'm going to go after my grandson and we're going we're gonna to capture him. You know, I do think it's funny that Clown Pirate comes back in the way that he does this episode, the reveal that his ear has been there the entire time. I, I'm kind of a little embarrassed to some extent, but I thought the way they introduced Clown Dude was that he was going to be the big bad of the season. And that has not been the case in the slightest. I was totally wrong there. He's more like a Dusex Machina than a MacGuffin, right? Like he's, he's, he's there to, to be the thing that connects the bad guy pirates with, with them. And now it's going to be, you know, the thing that's going to connect the straw hats with the fish pirates. And so it's all going to come together. I don't think this means they're all going to be friends, right? Like I think at the end of the day, maybe they're still going to part ways as enemies, but I, I have no idea. Still loving the show though. Let me know what you think. Hey, guess what? If you have not heard it, which you definitely should have, we've got a brand new podcast called Loki TV Talk. Me along with my co-host Lorraine, we are going through every single episode of the Loki series on Disney+. Plus. I know, I know. Normally I do that here on the TV Talk podcast, but the TV Talk has kind of become more of these like quick after show, like no filter thoughts. Whereas Loki TV talk is going to be a little bit more true to what flash TV talk was. And it's going to be more longer episodic, probably some segments in there as well. I bring a lot of the comic book knowledge. Lorraine brings a lot of like the, you know, behind the scenes pop culture. Tom Hiddleston used to date Taylor Swift. Apparently I, I didn't even know that. Anyway, point is if you like Loki and you want to, you know, get into it with us, by all means, head over there. LokiTVTalk.com is a place to go and find the podcast to subscribe. That's going to do it for me for this week, but don't worry. I'll be back in a splash. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.